The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome once again to Afternoons with Mike, heard across the Shepherd Radio Network. This is a real thrill for me today. I became aware sometime back about an initiative that the governor of Florida, and that name is just kind of well-known across the country right now, as Governor Ron DeSantis is also a candidate for the presidency of the United States. But in 2019, an initiative was set forth. It's the Faith and Community-Based Initiative, and with me on the line today is Eric Dellenbach. And Eric is the governor's choice to be the, uh, the head of this initiative, and I am privileged to have him on the line today. Welcome, Eric. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm I'm honored to be with you. I I uh, as you said, they they tagged me as the governor's liaison for faith and community. I think I have the greatest job in our state. Well, it's an exciting job. You know the uh, the whole thing of faith and community. The marriage of those two words together would have in history been something that I think most people would have expected. You know, I think of ball games that each year would have God and Country Day at baseball stadiums, and it would often have quite Christian themes, even inviting Christian artists. But in this day, uh, that's not been the case, right? Like it, it, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, ultimately, it, I would I would even take it one step further and say, ultimately, the craziest part of the separation of church and state that has been misdefined and misspoken is they missed the part that we are both extremely passionate about caring for the most vulnerable people in our communities. And so, when the two separated from each other fully it left a gap uh, with many vulnerable people needing to be cared for. And quite frankly, neither side, not the faith side or the government side, is fully effective without the other one. And so what you're saying is exactly right. I, I got to speak recently to a group of people uh, that run the foster care system in our state that called that they were called the community-based care. And if you look far enough back, the original community-based care for vulnerable populations in our state, in our country, was the church. That's uh, right. So I yeah. think the, the the brilliance of what the governor did in 2019, and I think probably I think there's a, probably a lot of your listeners would take for granted. So of course there'd be a faith initiative. Uh, let me say to them that's not common. Uh, it actually takes tremendous courage from a, a politician, a leader, to do that because the moment they do, the adversity becomes very very intense. Uh, we're one of only 14 states in the country right now that has any faith and community initiative. And so the day that uh, that my role came to be, that this initiative came to be, we came up against tremendous fire. And so um, I think I'm a native Floridian, and I love uh, – I'm proud of our state. I'm proud of the governor for, for making this decision back in 2019. And can candidly, we lead uh, these 14 states. I, I talk to each of my counterparts in those states all the time. And Florida, as far as faith and community goes, is leading in almost every way. You know, I think that's really true in just about every other area, too. When you think of the economy, when you think of the way we reacted in the COVID crisis, when you think about the governor's thoughts on where we are in this whole debacle that's going on right now with the border, all of those things, Florida is considered to be a leader, and that's kind of backed up. Is it not by the fact that we are growing by leaps and bounds? Some people are moving here. They're wanting out of these crazy blue states that are just being run down by policies that are, are just nonsensical. It's not sustainable. And Florida seems to be winning the day in just about every area. Well, I think, I think sometimes we miss, you're exactly right, Mike. And I think sometimes we miss the simple but profound. You know, I guess if I, were to think through it, I think sometimes we try to overanalyze and we try to, you know, make everything fit other people's phrases and statements. And at one time, sometime last year, I was reading that we were doing about 1,100 new people a day to the state of Florida, uh, which the natives, I know there's people that would probably hear that and say, that's a lot of people, because uh, there's a lot of infrastructure to that. But the reason is, is because they're offered a hope. Uh, I, I, it's my, my opinion that they look around uh, what's gone on over these last few years. 
And Florida is not doing it because we're told to do it. We're doing things because we think they're right. Yeah. And I think I think what we're doing in faith and community is an example of that. I mean, I, I'll give you a, a really simple example, right? There is there is no organization that government will never have the trust with people that faith institutions do. Government will never be as frontline to pe- people as the church can be. Government will never hear of many people's issues before the church or the pastor hears of those. What, you know, what the governor did in connecting those two is not complicated. Right, it's uh, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that later. But, but it's not complicated; it's just right. right. And yet, what we've unfortunately what's happening so many times is we're not doing what's right out of fear of other people's opinions on it. And I think if there's been one tune of this governor has been, I'm I'm going to do what's right. I I've used a phrase um, that you know for a couple of the secretaries here in our state, and I think some of our leaders, I think they really love to fix stupid things. And so I think that that becomes a great way to see an advancement of of some of the things that we should have been doing all along. I agree completely. And, you know, when you say that, doing what's right, that demands a a worldview. And I think that one of the reasons why Florida is doing so great, and even, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here, my mind is exploding, Eric, when I think about 2019, that being the fateful year before all of us were caught surprised by this, uh, the pandemic that came upon Mm -hmm. us with coronavirus. But when you think about uh, the governor's uh, prophetic almost uh, kind of direction to know that this needed to be done. This is something that needs to be put in place because I don't think anybody could have ever foreseen what would have happened late in 2020 on into 2021, this new administration. It would appear to me that part of the reason why the governor is doing so great, he's operating from a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview, at least. And some may say, if you don't want to use those words, if that bothers you, you could say a kind of a historic American worldview, which was based on a Judeo-Christian ethic. And so many states are not operating under that kind of a worldview. Isn't that right? It, 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 that's, not only is it right, it's crazy. I mean, honestly, it's, it's just absolutely crazy because the truth is the faith institutions and the churches of those states that you're referring to still have a heart to serve the vulnerable populations. And so instead of doing it beautifully and together, they're doing it in silos. And I think, so let me, let me give you, a, you and your listeners a little insight into what happened in the early days. So candidly, uh, I'm going to be, I'll give, I'll give full transparent on this. Interview okay, today. I like it. Uh, I did not want to, I did not want to work in government. I think later in the segment, I think we're going to talk a little bit about from right. the kind of career I've had. And so I didn't want to work in government, so I turned it down for quite a while because, man, I thought I, I'm I'm one of those Christians that, you know, like ah, it's government. You know, I don't I don't know. <laughs> do I really want to go there? Do I want my friends to immediately say what what happened to him? He went over to the dark side. And and as as I started to listen to what the governor's vision was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is simple and is needed. Let me get I'll give it to you really quickly. This is the three priorities he gave me back in 2019. I want every faith institution to feel thanked and validated in the work they're doing to serve our vulnerable populations. And man, I'm a believer. I'm right there with him to say, before you ask for anything, it's always good to say thank you. And and so we we set out, and I'll tell you how we did that. And then secondly, he said, I want to open communication lines because they know better what's happening in their communities and vulnerable populations than we do. And third, I want to figure out ways that we can resource them to help them be able to do their roles better. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, is that? And, and then you have to, of course, you wonder, right? I mean, let's let's be real. You wonder, is that real? Like, is that really what's going to happen if I come over there? Because I've been serving in the faith and ministry side all this time. And I got over there, and I'll tell you this. You talk about oddly prophetic goosebumps when you said that. So back in 2019, the first thing we resolved to do is to identify as many faith institutions as we could in the state. We know there's about 20,000 faith institutions in the state. And uh, in February of 2020, we sent out a a thank you note to 40,000 faith institutions uh, and and, and nonprofits, 40,000. COVID hit two weeks later. Isn't that and what something? happened because of that thank you note, uh, 5,000 of them immediately joined the Governor's Faith and Community Initiative. We started opening up communication because the truth is back in 2020, when COVID was hitting our country, we needed each other. Yep. You know, faith leaders are leading. The governor is leading. The governor needs his faith. Like everything, we all needed each other. And so we started doing conference calls with faith leaders and the governor, the first lady, the surgeon general, all these different people of our state. And it was just so wonderful. Uh, obviously, I mean, if I, if I were to say the thing, one of the things I'm most proud of during our, of our governor during that time was keeping churches open. 
Yep. I mean, there was never a point in Florida where churches were forced to close. Now many did because they because sh- we all thought different things at the time, right? I have no, but but we were never as a state asked to close. And so when it when it came time um, to to come back together, people started saying, "Well, we're going to reopen." I said, "No, no, no, no." In the state of Florida, let's recongregate because we have not. There was never a closed, and I think that that did so much for faith leaders, no matter where they stood politically. And and all of that happened because of the thank you note two weeks before COVID, and then him just throwing the doors open for communication at the highest level of the executive office. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, that concept of saying thank you, even in that number one pillar that uh, this initiative has on this three-legged stool, if you will, that you're mm-hmm. describing, that number one pillar is is not being thought of, or at least it doesn't appear to be thought of, in all of the communications we're hearing out of out of the blue states, out of these states that are really in trouble. I feel sorry for people living in San Francisco, in Portland, Oregon, uh, in New York City. I really do feel sorry for them because they're not... I, I know there are many great people there that would benefit Absolutely. from a thank you note, just like what you sent out to the people of Florida. I, I went in a prison, and I, again, these guys are tough, tough people, right? Uh, these, these wardens are amazing heroes and chaplains that work in these facilities. I went in there one day, uh, and I won't say which one for the purpose of just protecting this individual, but a warden, a hardened warden, was teary-eyed because he had never had a visit from a governor's office. Right. Mm. And and I, I, by the way, I'm not the governor. That's pretty clear. Right. So, <laughs> uh, man, I was so moved by that that we started making our effort to be everywhere and to thank everybody, because the truth is the system doesn't work without amazing people on the front line. And so, you know, for churches or faith institutions, we've got quite a few synagogues and temples we work with as well. And for them to hear, we see you, we don't. And that's what I think, you know, basically said, we don't know exactly what you do. But if you'll tell us what you do, and we don't want like details because people still don't trust governments, they wouldn't give us details. But just tell us, here's 21 vulnerable population groups. Tell us which ones you served. If you tell us that, we will give you so much information and fling the doors open so that you can talk to the secretaries of those agencies. If that was a if that was a national model right now, Mike, it would change so much. It would. Um, yeah. So I, as a silly example, and it's, it's a huge, again, simple but profound. We launched something called Care Portal throughout our entire state, and it is the idea that when a caseworker or a CPI is walking in a home and about to do a child removal, they, they and they see that you know what the child's living in, a, they're not, they're not, there's nothing bad happening in the home. It's just a situation where there's a lot of uh, need. They can now press in an app with the family's permission. Hey, they don't have enough beds. Hey, they don't have enough car seats. They don't have enough diapers. They don't have enough whatever things that we do care deeply about, making sure that child has. And as soon as they press that button, it goes out to every church in the area that has signed up. And so what's happening is it's allowing our faith institutions to step back into a role that they already love, their mm-hmm. heartbeats for. Right. It's just that in the past, government has made so many roadblocks for letting them do what their heartbeats for. And so there's just these little things that are happening all over. Um, uh, the, well, I'll give you one other, since we're on that topic. We're the only state in the country, and this one is one of the ones I'm most proud of, that we have a faith information line that is exclusively for faith leaders of our state to call directly into the governor's office. A human being will answer the phone and will get their question answered across whatever piece of state government it is, because our belief is the more efficient, effective, and speedy they can serve, everyone benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Even down to the taxpayer that may not even like faith, Mike, honestly, the person that says, well, I don't, I don't do it. You know, that We know there's 24 percent of our state that says that faith is not important to them. Well, the truth I'd say to them is, well, the faith institutions that stand on the front line and serve all these people are saving you hundreds of millions of dollars in state dollars in the way that they serve our vulnerable populations. And so even if you looked at it just through that lens, it would be worth it 100 times over. I agree completely, Eric. And, you know, when you think about what the governor's courage level had to be when not only did he make this initiative uh, happened in 2019, but this past year, standing up against the likes of uh, companies like Disney, when they're doing things that it, it uh, I like what you talked about. It's, it doesn't make sense <laughs> when when the companies like Disney do what they are doing. It, it doesn't make common sense at all. Uh, that you're trying to indoctrinate three, four, five-year-old kids into an aberrant, what what has always been considered historically, aberrant lifestyle. 
aberrant decisions mm-hmm. in them. But I, I just so appreciate it. And I, it's got to be great working for someone, as you do with the governor, that has courage and conviction to do what's right. Well, I, honestly, it's my favorite part of him. I think there's two parts I really love. One, courage and conviction. You know, someone one time made, said, don't don't pray for caution and, bold, and safety. Pray for boldness and courage. And that is my prayer for him. And I think a lot of people around the state join me in that prayer. And 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 that's my favorite part. My second favorite part is is, is he is so smart. <laughs> the, the guy is so smart. You know, so when you talk about there's no way to act in a way that the country was founded if you don't know how the country was founded. And so I think one of the really impressive parts of our governor um, is is his knowledge of the Constitution, his knowledge right. of how our country was founded. And and I and, and the truth is I've been very open with people when I first started working with him. Uh, you know, we didn't know. Like he'd been a congressman, but we'd not seen him lead as a governor. And so you just, you just never know. And you know, there's going to be tons of pressure, and you know that people are going to have all things kind of come up against him. And I have, I have, uh, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm way more of a church guy than a government guy, and yet I've become more proud of him every minute I've been there. And so, um, no, it, it absolutely has been fun to, to work with him. And by the way, we haven't even talked about his wife yet. His, his wife is so impressive in the faith and community space. I know we're going yes. to talk more about her, but, but I mean, those two as a, as a combo, um, it, it's just, it's been an incredible opportunity for sure. Yeah. She leads the hope for healing Florida campaign and she's right there. I mean, even in the official press release, when you were named, she is quoted in there quite, uh, quite strongly saying an important initiative of my hope for healing Florida campaign is that it brings together all sectors of the community, including the public, private, and faith-based sectors to the table to help forge meaningful solutions to the substance abuse and mental health challenges facing our state. Now, that is a world-class statement that I I really have a hard time believing that anyone, whether they're part of the faith-based community or not, they they cannot argue with that. That's just, again, common sense. Yeah, it it is common sense, and and probably the most impressive part we've 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 cut it down to Hope Florida, so it's, we've simplified. She simplified the name, but the Hope Florida initiative. Um, the most impressive part is that it was two and a half years into working development by the time they announced it. Now, now, why does that matter? Well, my you and I both know most politicians honestly announce things, then try to do them. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's just kind of the the nature it seems like of government. Uh, we spent two and a half years deeply in the foster care system, working with single moms, working on mental health and mentoring, figuring out our faith institutions, developing databases so we could communicate. Uh, I mean, all this was being done at deep levels because, as I started to say earlier, when those 5,000 faith institutions shared with us who they serve, going back to that vulnerable population piece, we were blown away by some of the areas that we thought would be heavily served that were underserved. And we realized that most of the issue was probably government being in the way. Mm-hmm. And so she and the governor are in a phenomenally unique position to be a hub of a wheel between for-profit, nonprofit, faith, and government. And if you open that door, I, my hope and prayer, thing, something I think about literally every day, is I don't think it can be closed. Um, I, I think that we could become a state where this is part of our DNA, no matter who lives in that mansion down the road. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, what she's what she's created uh, has been. Well, let, let me just. Do you mind if I spend a minute just? Yeah, about let's what's let's happening? jump. I'm up against a break. Let's continue that point in uh, on the other side. Plus, we're going to be hearing all about Eric Dellenbach's background, which is rich and includes a whole bunch of news that our Gainesville people will especially love, if not the whole state of Florida, with uh, his work with Tim Tebow. That's all coming up. This is afternoons with Mike. You're on the Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, 
an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. On the line with me today is Eric Dellenbach. Eric leads the governor's, uh, this is such a beautiful thing. It's the faith and community-based initiative that was set in 2019. And when the governor did that, Governor DeSantis tapped a young man that has been really working behind the scenes in nonprofits for many years. Eric Dellenbach became the original leader of this initiative. And he's with us today on the line. And Eric, uh, it is such a joy to talk with you. I, I, it is so neat to talk with someone in government. Now, this is, I'm not trying to slam other people here. Please don't hear that. But it's a great thing. I got to highlight it when I talk to someone that's involved in government that speaks good sense, like what my dad used to say, common sense. It's not so common anymore. And that is exactly right. And boy, you guys are doing it with just about every one of those three pillars that you are working hard and so hard to kind of keep out there, uh, beginning with this thank you concept to all the people who are providing care to the vulnerable citizens of Florida. I would just like to say to you, thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, listen, I'll be on any time when you call me a young man. That That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Over in Tallahassee, in the Capitol building, I think I think I'm, I'm called by the gray hair. Uh, there's so many young people oh, there. Yeah. So if I can come on your program and you'll call me young, we'll do it anytime you want. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, you look young to me. Uh, I crossed the big 70 mark, so everyone is young to me right now, my friend. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And yeah, it's it's a great honor to be on and get to share about what's happening in Florida. Uh, we are we are certainly excited. You were telling us something at the end of segment one. Can you jump back to that? Yeah, I wanted to share just a little bit about what Hope Florida is, because I know a lot of people are hearing about it. I know a lot of people love First Lady Casey DeSantis. For that matter, I know a lot of your listeners. I should pause here and say, on behalf of the governor and First Lady, I know how many people around our state were praying for her as she went through her yes, cancer. Yes, definitely. And, uh, you know, that that's I, I think the governor and First Lady felt a different level of prayer that you can only feel, unfortunately, when you're going through something like that. I mean, I, I watched just their emotions through feeling a state of 23 million people and many of them praying deeply for this, this incredible lady. Uh, so that's a, a huge thank you to your listeners. I know a lot of them were doing that and, and, and she's, and, and she's worth it, right? Because yeah. she's, she's doing amazing things. And one of the things that she launched was this thing called hope Florida that we, we were talking about just a minute ago. I just want to explain it because it's a little bit, it's a little bit complicated yet simple when you, if, if we can get it quickly. So the idea was how do we get, People with need connected with people that can meet need. That 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 at its core, that's Hope Florida. And the answer to that was really twofold. One, I shared a little bit about in the last segment talking about Care Portal, where we have an app that allows state workers to enter needs of vulnerable citizens that goes directly out to faith institutions. The second thing that was set up, and I think this is just so smart on her part, was she she hired a bunch of people called Hope Navigators. Mm. And Hope Navigators are well over a hundred of them now in our state. And they, they're, they're regionalized. They're in different areas of our state. And anybody in need can call them and say, I don't know how to navigate the state system. How do I do it? I, I have a need. Fill in the blank. I need diapers. And that Hope Navigator is a hub in their community. And they've got a, what we, you know, we, we use, she uses the word Rolodex, which is always a kicker because no, you know, no one under 20 has any idea what a Rolodex is. That's but right. but she, she said there's this Rolodex in front of these Hope Navigators. And it includes churches, and it includes nonprofits, and includes what the services are offered by the state. So this person with need can call and get almost guidance counselor-like services across state government, which is super complicated, and nonprofits and churches that they just probably don't know exist. Mm -hmm. Well, simultaneous to that, the churches of our state and the synagogues of our state can call those Hope Navigators. Because, you know, the truth is people with need walk into those buildings every day. Yep. And they walk up to a front desk and they say, here's my need. And for so long, the church has been alone. And their their answer was either we can help you or we can't. And what Hope Navigators do is give the church someone to call and say, hey, I've got someone in front of me. Here's their need. Can you help me navigate through that? And uh, we are just seeing the results are crazy. Because sometimes 
if I were to give you a picture of government, uh, and I, I wish I could show you my hands, but the way that government typically functions is we typically get involved when a crisis begins and we exit when a crisis ends, if you could kind of see my hands up like that. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what this administration has done, and a bunch of incredible leaders at the Department of Children and Families, we've got Secretary Siobhan Harris, I want to say her name because she's that impressive, um, have, have gone in and said, you know what, forget that. Like, we've got to start going upstream. Like, the, the best time to care for a child in the foster care system is to not have them go in the foster care system. That's right. And, and so we've started it, – it, I think sometimes we look at government and we think it's like we're bailing a boat which is fine, except for the fact that what would be better than bailing the boat would be to also simultaneously plug the leak. And mm. so what Hope Florida is doing, we just got news that 2,000 children over the past year and a half were kept in their biological homes because needs were met by faith institutions and nonprofits so that they could stay in that biological home. 2,000 kids kept out of the foster care system in a year and a half. Wow. And, and again, because sometimes the removals this is a statistic that, that I, I, I live in this phrase, Mike, you'll, you'll just, it'll be part of what we talk about here. I live in the phrase, you cannot unsee what you've seen. So sometimes we need to just simply open people's eyes to see something that they would not otherwise see. And when the faith institutions get their eyes open to this, what's happening in foster care and how they can step in and help. And there's one statistic I heard that I want your viewers to really hear of the removals that were happening in foster care. So a child being removed from a home, only 20% were abuse and 80% were neglect. Now, the truth is that 20% we're going to step in and protect because that's what government does. The 80% are people that we can help before they go into the system. These are children that can be helped before the system of care. So just this Hope Florida model is so impressive. I, I've talked to now many different states that are copying different parts of Hope Florida. Um, uh, one of the, the last one I'll share, and I know I can't stop talking. I got all these things I want to share with you, Mike. <laughs> That's but, great. But we're the only state in the country. So here's another thing for Floridians to be proud of that has a foster information line, and that is manned by real humans. So if somebody, if, if, if you woke up tomorrow and said, I'm interested in foster care, you could call this line. A real human would answer the phone. Every person that answers the phone is a former or current foster parent, and they will navigate you through the system. One line one place to call. Because here's the thing. We start looking around the state and we're like, we give better services to, you know, I, I feel like I get better service at Chick-fil-A ordering a chicken sandwich than we were giving for people that were interested in foster care. Yeah. And that, that had to change. And so the first lady stepped in and said, let's do it. And we, we are the only state that you will be hand walked through and thanked profusely if God has laid it on your heart to step into one of the hardest things you can do, which is foster some of these amazing kids. So and Anyways, you know, so I'll many states. State right absolutely, man, and, and well, you should, because so many states almost take the opposite approach. It becomes so difficult to help these kids that there's there's right. like, a, well, no, who can stay in there with it? It's just so hard to do. So they're making it easier. They're making it less costly. That's another thing, right there, is how expensive it is to get involved in either adoption or even Correct. to be part of the fostering process that could lead to adoption. But again, I appreciate. Appreciate the fact that Casey has done this, and God bless her. And you're right; all of us were praying for her. And mm -hmm. uh, good to see that she's doing as well as she's doing. And this is exciting. Now I've got uh, only a little bit of time allotted with you, unless you can hang with me longer. If you can, we'll go into segment three with you. But if not, we're going to have to. I'm, I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to take my shoehorn out here in the time frame that we've got left. You were in the. Um, complete, uh, let's say, nonprofit world for the last, what, nine years prior to 2019. And seven of those years, if I've got my numbers right, were with the Tim Tebow Foundation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. That had to be pretty cool working for Timmy. You know, it was life changing. Uh, it was it was far beyond uh, cool. It was uh, so so. Just real quick. By the way, I'm I'm fine. My time. I'll spend as much time as you want to talk. So oh well, then let's talking. just settle it. I'm going to keep with you even into segment three. Then all right, <laughs> okay, good. Deal. We've got more time. Then that's great. Uh, so so to give you a frame of reference on that, I spent 12 years putting on college football games. I was in the bowl business, putting on end of year football games, and got the guy got I actually got to start the ACC football championship. Wow. Uh, when I was yeah. fairly young. And so I, I got some, some pinnacles of, of career early in my life. And all I can tell you that that did for me was show me that the thing that I was pursuing wasn't the thing. Because uh, I actually got to reach one of my major career goals at about 30 and found myself in a hollow 
bad spot of just kind of being like, uh oh, if this is all there is to pursue, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and so through some time with the Lord and just a real shifting of life, uh, I did. I took a I took a job, uh, which became a calling, which became a ministry uh, to start the Tim Tebow Foundation with with Timmy uh, when he was graduating college. And so I left the bowl world, went over into that world. I got to start the Tebow Foundation in my guest room and then watch it grow. Uh, God did amazing things. We built hospitals and we built children's playrooms and we had orphanages. And we had, we had, uh, we were, we actually, we were one of the only two people in the world that had their own wish granting organization. Mm -hmm. And we did that because make a wish at the time, uh, we were not able to to bring so much faith as we wanted to bring into it. So we, we just would do things that were different. But the thing we probably most got known for was God kind of gave me a, I'd say a vision, but it just kind of, it's kind of like a vision to, to how to build something called Night to Shine. It was a prom for people with special needs. Yes. And I started that in 2014. And I'll tell you that the framework of that is actually the same framework we're using um, here in the state of Florida now, is the idea that uh, e- even you and I, Mike, we, we, we'd get along great, right? But if we, if we got into enough topics of faith, we would disagree at some point, maybe not too far down the road, right? We'd have some disagreement. And so what we learned is if you really want to have effective cross-faith um, unity is talk about the thing you, you agree on most, which in that case was serving people with special needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the state's case, it's about serving people with foster care and adoption and mental health and mentoring. And the truth is if you get all eyes on that, right, well, you can I – and mean, there's nothing more powerful in the state than the 17 million people that say they're faith-based and the 20,000 faith institutions. We've just got to – be able to unify together. And so some of the framework of that, and then I left there and went to go work for Chris Tomlin and helped start his foundation. And his was geared on foster care and adoption around the country. Oh, that's great. How do we get the local church to say, uh, we will set aside our banners, we will set aside our denominational differences, because these people are worth it. And if, and if that group is rowing together, it's unstoppable. Right. Now, when you work, let's go back for a moment, because you've mentioned now two great names that I know and love. Uh, I, I, I just love it. Uh, Tim Tebow uh, was actually, um, I was able to spend one evening, uh, he sat at my table that night, and my kids sang, they had a Christian uh, kind of a, a group, a music group, and they performed on that night, and, and Tim was there, and he was he's just so great. And the the thing about Tim that makes him so unique. And this night to shine, I think is, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to know that God gave you that idea because it seems to so fit with the same kind of personality that Tim really does have. And, and the kind of, I, I guess you could say again, courage that he stands up for what he believes. And he was able to do that in the highest way on D one football at a major school and when other people would not talk about or would be fearful to talk about their faith, he's out there doing it all the time, putting John three sixteen under his eyes. And he's <clears throat> and isn't it ironic, Eric, that when he did that, that became the number one Google uh, expression that was put out there in the search engines that day. John three sixteen. Right. That's the kind of impact that can happen when someone stands up for what is right. Yeah, that that story is amazing. I mean, a hundred million people googling John three sixteen, uh, and 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 again, I know it's national, it's well known nationally. So I'm not saying anything secretive. But I was with a uh, a wish child. Uh, so one of the things I used to love in the early days is I got to personally take all the these amazing children on their wishes, which was to meet Tim. And so I took the sweet girl to uh, his Broncos game when he threw that overtime touchdown pass to win the game yes. and all those, you know, everything that day lined up with 316, all his yardages and all the times and all that stuff. And another hundred million people Googled John 316. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that, by the way, this sweet little wish kid who's been through like 64 surgeries. I think she's been through 64 surgeries at age 16 is looking over at me and I'm freaking out because I'm a fan and I want them to win. And she's like, it'll be okay, Mr. Eric. <laughs> and so I'll never forget that sweet girl comforting me in a football game as if it was <laughs> something awesome. that mattered. Uh, oh, man. But, but I'll tell you, um, you know, and I think this is something true of, of Timmy and, and Chris Tomlin and Governor DeSantis, is that these guys wouldn't say to you that that's bold and courage. They would say it's – I think they would literally say to you, it's just who I am, 
and it's foundationally more important than everything else. Yeah. Right. So, so to him, to Timmy, it was like, well, yeah, that's what I mean. He, he, he didn't feel he was doing something radical or bold. He felt like he was, he was appealing to the one audience that matters. Right. And, yeah. and I think like, yeah. I think sometimes we just overcomplicate that because yes, it ends up being bold because the attacks come. But in the beginning, it's just like, well, if our eyes are eternal and not down around everyone else is thinking, then we just keep it focused on that anyways. And so I think like I think to him it was there's an audience of one and I'm going to be pleasing and honoring to him and we'll see what he does with it. Uh, And obviously big things happened. Big things have happened, and that night to shine, I mean, the the media did pick that up, and it it was at least talked about, uh, and not nearly to the degree that it should have been. But uh, what a wonderful thought, and it is so great to see how God uses that. And God has used uh, Chris Tomlin. I I go back to the, the worship movement that's happened in America, and we can all, whether we realize it or not, we can all thank uh, t- Chris Tomlin for what his role in yeah. that, because he was a major player in our country. Absolutely. You know, in the nineties, mm-hmm. I was privileged to be part. I was a worship leader for over 40 years and was privileged to go meet, uh, in England with Matt Redman. And at that time, Matt Redman was uh, starting to influence the United States as well. But Chris Tomlin was, was doing this. And obviously mm-hmm. the passion movement was born and with Louis Giglio and Chris Tomlin, well, it's just so exciting to see a guy who does not change his colors when success comes. And that would be the thing that I think we're seeing uh, common with all three of these great individuals that we've talked about here today. And in your right, Eric, it is not just like wanting to be a people pleaser or to stand up and do it. It's just doing what we have a conscience and a conviction to do. But that seems to be in short supply in this country today. There's no doubt. I, I just, to speak of Chris for a second, he was just named the most sung artist in history. Oh, uh, wow. More people on a weekly basis sing his song than any other artist ever. Uh, and by the way, when we sing it, the great thing is, is we're not focused on Chris because he's not trying to be focused on, he's trying to focus us on the Lord. And so that's, that's even cooler, you know, because it's not like, I think so few people probably would know which songs are his is the truth. And that yeah. I think it's kind of wonderful. Um, you know, and, and look at how God does that, right? Like God breaks Chris's heart. I'm, I'm talking about, he can barely talk about it without tearing up for the foster care and adoption crisis in our country. He can barely talk about it. Yeah. And God just breaks his heart. And he says, he says, Chris, I've given you this platform, but it's not just for you. And it's not just for worship. It's, it's also for this, this thing. And, and same with Timmy, you know, Timmy, Timmy gets his heart broken for people that have been trafficked, people that, you know, have special needs. And now, and the governor gets his heart. Break. So it's like, like, I, it's just amazing that God's like, yeah, yeah, I, you have all that, and thank you for keeping your eyes on me. Now here's the next task. And I think those are three men that have really walked out, sometimes in really simple steps of obedience, and sometimes in profound, bold steps of obedience, walked out what God's done, which should be a lesson for each of us, honestly. That's, it should be. Um, Listen, so. we're up against a break. We'll be back yes, with sir. Eric Dellenbach, who leads the governor's faith and community-based initiative in Florida. And we'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Here we are now with segment three. I didn't know I was going to get to get this segment, but I am thrilled that I did with Eric Dellenbach. He leads the Governor's Faith and Community-Based Initiative and he, uh, prior to that, served as a consultant, as a an organizer, was with Tim Tebow Foundation for seven years, then worked with other nonprofits, including, as we talked about, Chris Tomlin. And uh, it just seems like, man, you know, we might start finding that your inclusion with some of these individuals might be part of the success formula. Just saying, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it seems to me that when they name Ellen uh, Eric Dellenbach to the to the team, big things begins to happen, man. They begin to happen, and so right now you're, you, you, like you said so eloquently in our break, you 
you've been a part of some big things. The Tim Tebow Foundation blew up. I mean, Tim was right there in Gainesville just as a student. Uh, and then we know he went on with this uh, efforts both in pro football and then in uh, efforts for pro baseball. But he was bigger than any of those things. And the and I think the reason this is, and I'd love to know if you agree with this, I think the reason that Tim was bigger than any of those things is because he served a God who's bigger than anything. I, I think that is a big part of it. Well, for sure. And I'll first address your first comments to say, I do think I fit the scriptural mo- model of God using nobodies to accomplish something he wants done. <laughs> so I'm, I'm down with that. I, I, the, the humility that you'd have to understand that strikes me almost at the knees at times that God has allowed me to be around some of these men is, is off the charts. And I don't know. I, you know, I, I think the secret sauce is one thing, which is that in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the stuff, they're, they're doing their best you know, to keep their eyes on the Lord. I mean, I think that's just the fundamental difference of, of what you see around you. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, in Tim's case, I, I the, the guy, everything he touched had success, and I really believe that's because he wasn't really clinging to a lot. Uh, I think one of the dangers, right, of our, our time, and I don't want to get into preaching, but like one of the dangers is sometimes we get these successes or these things that happen, and we start to cling to those things instead of the one that gave us those those successes. And, um, you know, I, I, with Chris and Tim both, I think they've just done an incredible job of, of keeping their hands open to what the Lord may do. Because uh, to do what Tim did, to be the level he was as a quarterback in college, yeah. then go on to play in the NFL, then go play professional baseball, then go back to the NFL in another position. Like, I don't, I don't think an athlete – it's unheard of honestly, right. to do that. Uh, and yet, and yet, you know, again, all credit, all glory kept going upward. And do I think that that's a coincidence? I don't. You know, and during the entire time frame, you would get the idea from just listening to what he would do away from the field or off the diamond. What really grabbed his heart, his passion would be like the mission work that he was doing and then working with you and the foundation, doing these night to shine events. That's what really grabbed his attention. And now when you look, he marries this young lady that is just so sweet and so beautiful. And together they are the perfect couple for reaching out to these that are vulnerable and making a difference in the world. I just think it's such a beautiful story of a heart surrendered unto God and the beautiful things that God can do when someone is willing to do that. And so that is such a beautiful uh, thing. And I'm so grateful you had all those years with the Tim Tebow Foundation, man. That's exciting. Now you are here with the governor and you're doing this thing called the Faith and Community-Based Initiative, and you guys are just knocking it out with that one. But in the middle of all of that, just a, a week or so ago now, uh, at the um, you know at the NRB, he it was like two nights before he officially announced his presidency. Uh, he, there was one moment I was in the uh, audience that night at the. Marriott World Center in Orlando when the governor gave up what I thought was going to be a mic drop moment. And I think there was a collective gasp in the entire room when, oh, is he going to say it? We wondered if he's going to announce it here right in front of us. Is that, and he just said, stay tuned. <laughs> so, and it was like, oh, okay. All right. It's not going to happen tonight. But on, honestly, that's a game changer too. what he's doing. What is it like now being there in this position, working with the governor and suddenly the, the stage is enlarging in front of you? Well, it's exciting. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you give all your gifts, talents, and abilities to the Lord and you press every day as if as if it's the last, you try to keep your vision eternal, and those are a lot of ifs, but if those are in place, then your great your greatest hope is that the work you're doing can expand, right? Uh, and so for us, what we've been able to build in Florida, and certainly through the governor's leadership and his boldness and his courage, is set up to be a national model. I mean, everything we've talked about in these two segments is ready and prepared to grow. And so, you know, we, we believe for the last few years that that was being done state by state, us talking to other states and helping them do it. But the thought that, um, you know, we could have the opportunity to bring the governor's boldness and courage to the presidency and therefore bring a faith and community initiative that would literally change the landscape of how vulnerable people are served throughout our state is super exciting. And so, 
you know, everything we're, we're doing two things simultaneously. We're one deepening everything we're doing, trying to become, uh, you know, we're trying to make Florida so strong because obviously we all still deeply care about Florida in these spaces that nothing can undo it. But then also, you know, using it as an incredible moment to have, uh, you know, research and development on what works and what doesn't and how you can go to scale, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, I know are phrases we don't often use in the church, but we, we could and we should, candidly, because if we're doing great work, that work should not be, you know, hidden under a bushel, right? That's how we'd probably say it. So right. uh, it's a super exciting time. I mean, I, you know, how often do you get to see someone that you respect run for it? And I think in his case, you know, I think you've watched a lot of the things he said lately. I think he just feels like this is the moment where he believes that uh, it's it's time to step in, and, and he, he he has the right will and, and character to to be a leader. He really seems to have that, and seems to be undaunted by a lot of the words that are out there. We know that there's this great uh, matchup that uh, everyone, whether they're a part of Florida or not, that they're they're pitting him against former President Trump and mm-hmm. uh, the the comments that are made. But one one comment that I'd love to have you weigh in on, and and mm-hmm. ask if I could, would be the thought of, that a lot of people are having if there's any, let's say, hesitation or worry that some people may have. They would love, while people would love to see Governor DeSantis one day in the role of presidency, I think most Floridians that I've talked to believe that that's going to happen, if if not sooner or later. But now that it looks like he's running sooner, and he is running sooner, uh, the question that a lot of people are asking is this, what's going to happen to Florida? And from your yeah. standpoint, what would be the answer to that? How would you answer somebody? I can ask that question. I, I don't know if it's a question. I think they often just tell me their opinion, which is, oh, that would be nice, but we'd rather have him here. And and I, number one, I love it, right? It's an incredible compliment to the governor and the work that he's done because that that landslide victory uh, last November yeah. shows that, that we were, you know, there were a lot of people in Florida very, very happy with the work he was doing. And so that, that statement is not surprising in any way. Um, I think I'd say to those people two things. One, um, we are doing everything we can at a governor's level, like a staffing level, to build things in Florida that will last. All right. Like if there's one thing in an administration that you care deeply about, all of us, we work in government, certainly not for the pay and certainly not for the, the enjoyment or the lack of hours. All those things are, are pretty intense, but but we work here because you want to make a difference. And so to think that we wouldn't want the programs that the governor's put in place to outlast him or the next governor or the next governor, I mean, that's something that motivates us every day. And so I think, one, I'd, I'd sit every word in, guys, we are trying to do everything we can to build depth into these programs that make it where they will last. Uh, simultaneously, um, I, you know, I, I hear all the time, well, couldn't he wait till this election? Couldn't he wait till that election? Uh, my, my personal opinion, looking at what's happened in our country in the past three years, is no. Uh, you know, I, I think that right now we should be doing everything we can to get the best possible leader into the White House because, quite frankly, our country deserves it. And where our country is going matters. Uh, we are, we are a, a beacon of hope, a light to the world. I mean, that's not an understatement. And, uh, you know, right now, if 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 we get in a much worse situation, who knows if it's recoverable? That's right. I think that, um, you know, the time is now because the hand has been forced because of just tremendously poor leadership, truthfully. Um, And so I you know, I I hear them. I think he hears it every day also. And I think it's awesome because it's super complimentary authorities that want him to stay. But our, our, our country is worth it, and it matters, and we, we need to get that leadership right. Yeah, I think some people would think that if you waited until 28, uh, would we even have this country anymore as we have known it? And that's a big question, whether we can survive the next two years uh, or mm-hmm. not. I mean, it's it's that kind of seriousness that's going on right now. And I'm I'm just praying that, uh, Amer- that uh, not only America will survive that. But again, this transition, transitions are, are always difficult, no matter what happens, even in the best cases uh, of s- the best scenarios. It, it's a difficult thing to go from a, a leader like uh, Ron DeSantis, who won, what was it, by 32,000, I think, is or 28,000 votes or something in... Uh, yeah, point, yeah. 0.8%. Yeah. Or- and, and then he wins, what, 1.2 million 
or something like that. I, I don't know. Mm, almost I don't, 20 points, yeah. Yeah, 20 points up. So to go from barely squeaking into office, and we're all grateful that he did, but boy, to see him just ride that landslide this last time, it, it really does something, I think, good for the heart of those of us that live in this great state, what he calls the great free state of Florida. I love it every time he says that, but it's wonderful. I'm grateful that I'm a resident here. That's the whole thing, Mike. I mean, honestly, if you look at his blueprint, it was to bring freedom back. Yeah. Right. The reason, in my opinion, the reason he won by 20 points is because he let parents start making decisions for their kids. He let us start making churches, making decisions for them on whether they want to open or not. Individuals making decisions for them. And then he said, and this is profound, even though it shouldn't be, which is let our kids just be kids. And so these are these are like just simple freedoms reentering that uh, it's not a surprise that Americans, in this particular case, Floridians, would respond well to their freedom because that's what we are. That's, that's our whole basis. Yeah. Right. And so I, I look at it sometimes and I think, you know, this is stuff that it's one time he made a comment to me uh, and I, I just I'll give you a behind the curtains thing that I. I said, I said, Governor, really, this is an area that something he had done. I said, this is something you really could talk about. He said, well, wh- why would I talk about that? It's constitutional. And he caused me to pause because I didn't have an answer for that. Yeah. I thought, well, he's yeah. right. It is constitutional. But the truth is we've gotten so far off from where the Constitution is that doing something that is constitutional actually is considered bold and courageous. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? The reality of where we are. Another way to say that is that we've got, we've got government— governmental leaders who are not doing what the own rule of law that are on the books of, of states and the, the federal country here, the whole nation, they're, they're not even following law. So to follow what is the law, that just seems unusual anymore. It's, it, it really is well, a t- crazy time. And when you're elected, you are elected to represent the total of the people, right? And, and in Florida, we're a diverse group. I mean, a very, very diverse group with very, very different diverse needs and and different things we consider opportunities and freedoms. And so Florida is as diverse as anywhere. And I think that, you know, when as soon as he becomes governor, he was charged with representing all those people. And so that sometimes means doing things that exactly fall where your party is. And sometimes it means doing something that's right that might be different. And I think that our political leaders have just forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. they are supposed to represent the total and the whole, not small minorities that are allowed. Um, and so, you know, I, I, anyways, it's, again, I, I told you in the very beginning of this whole thing, I have done nothing but grow in my, uh, being proud of him from day one to four years later. I get it. Eric Dellingback is my guest and we're out of time. If you'd like to read more on Eric, all you have to do is go to faithandcommunityflorida.com. And uh, boy, there's an about uh, button there and you can find out all about Eric and these wonderful initiatives, these three pillars that the governor has set this initiative to be about. And uh, it is worth reading. It's worth knowing. And I feel like we only scratched the surface so, my friend, you have a, a uh, you have the golden ticket today. I would love to have you back anytime. We you can come back. I've really enjoyed it. I had a blast, my guy, and thank you for allowing the, these messages to get out. It's just it's so important, and I'm and I'm grateful for your program and and the way you're using your platform as well. Well, thank you, buddy. Eric Dellenbach, my guest, and I really appreciate him, the governor, and all of that's involved in this great outreach. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.